Welcome to Candid Conversations, everyone. So today we have a special guest and more than a guest of the Candid Conversations podcast. She's a friend because I have watched Malisha Edwards, writer, director, and producer, expand her work from producing and writing plays to now producing documentaries that was recently premiered on OWN TV. So welcome, Malisha. Thank you, thank you, thank you for having me. Are you still riding the wave, the OWN TV trending, (laughs) the documentary trending on Twitter? Are we still riding that wave? It's been about two weeks now since it premiered. Yes, I just, it's still surreal to me, actually. I just still can't believe it. People are still contacting me and calling me and messaging me and texting me saying they're watching it and that it was an amazing film and they just got inspired by it so i'm just it's still very surreal to me but i am i'm writing it as long as it's here as long as it's here right so i want to talk to you today a lot about trusting the process and also finding your voice or your lane, particularly in the film industry where we have a lack of representation in many aspects of the filmmaking process. So not only as you know actors or actresses, but also behind the scenes as well. But before we get into, you know, kind of the journey and lessons learned and all those sorts of things, tell us who is Malisha Edwards and what makes you feel most alive? Who am I? It took, um, to be truthful, um, it probably took almost 35 years to figure out who Malisha Edwards was. (laughs) I was, you know, I was a medical student at one time. I went to, I was a public health person trying to find my way. All in all, I'm a creative. And so I found my lane in creativity, in producing, in trying to tell our stories. And when I say our stories, typically Black women's stories. And, um, you know, when I started this maybe six or seven years ago, I had not a clue what I was doing. (laughs) Not, Not even a clue. But after um, taking classes, after shadowing people, after researching, after just trial and error, I really feel like I am where I'm supposed to be. (laughs) I love it. You know what? One of the things that I love about what you just said is it sounds like you opened yourself up to being curious about figuring it out, not being kind of too confined to the typical standard rules for success. Yeah. So how did it even fall into your lap that, that films, like what was the aha moment that said, you you said to yourself, let me try out producing films or being a creative in the film industry. Aha moment. I don't know. I, it has to be when I was in actually medical school. And so there was a point that I got to, like, I cannot live this lie of who I am anymore. You know, um, for I always wanted to be creative, even as a young 
Like I remember in high school, I really wanted to go to a performing arts type school, mm-hmm. but it did not work. You know, your parents, they like, you need a real job. You need to focus on a real career. I don't think they mean any, any harm, but you know, they just don't want you to struggle. And so, you know, I kind of took focus off of my love of creativity and, and then, you know, focus on science and medicine, which is where I spent most of my life. And then when I finally got into a medical program and after a year, I was like, I can't do this anymore. I literally got to a, and it's funny because I had a classmate actually tell me she had a dream that I left. And this was weeks before I actually decided that I left to pursue something very different that was more in line with my purpose. And even though she told me it was weeks after, I really was like, I can't stay here no more. After that semester, I was like, I'm not coming back. And um, I didn't know much about film or producing or writing. I knew I could write. Now, I always was kind of a creative writer and essays and things of that nature, but putting together a script or anything, I didn't know. But I just kind of set myself up like, I'm gonna learn this. And so from that day on, I came back home to Nashville because I was living in Phoenix. And I was like, I'm gonna try this. And it wasn't easy, believe me. And it wasn't easy telling family, friends, et cetera, that you were just giving up your whole career to try something that may or may not work. And it, it definitely has been a process. It's never, it is not overnight. I want everybody to realize that. It, it's definitely a process. Right. And, and so, you know, after that was my aha moments that I was actually going to at least try. Right. I think, I, you know, this is the thing is so much power and just making the decision to try. Yeah. And yeah. kudos to you too, to being in a medical program, but also having the courage to say, okay, this is not how my story is going to <laughs> end right here. This is not yeah. it. Yeah. And I know even for me, I had those same struggles. Like your parents, they want the best for you. So they want you to stick with a good job and good benefits and all those sorts of things, but your spirit is calling you to do otherwise. Exactly. Um, yeah. And I also thank you for saying it, it's, it's not an overnight process. It, it definitely takes time. So when you think about how you mastered or took steps to kind of perfect your craft, what did you do? Did you take classes? How did you start to perfect your craft and also find, you know, engage with other people and build relationships in that industry? So when I got back to Nashville, um, I was introduced to a friend of mine, Mary McCallum, who actually I uh, co-directed films with and also co-produced some plays with her. Actually, the play Singleville that we did in New York, she was the one that wrote that. And so um, I, I didn't know her, but a friend of mine knew her. And I kind of, you know, when I got back, I, when I got here, I was like, letting friends know what my um what I really wanted to do and so they introduced me to her and so I kind of started learning from her kind of shadowing her in her plays 
because I, I think I can say in Nashville, she definitely is the leader in, you know, when it comes to African-American stories and plays here in Nashville. So I kind of shadowed her. And after that, I took another step. Um, I found like you, I found that UCLA had some courses, you know, in film, because I knew I wanted more film. The thing about Nashville, especially at that time, we're not considered quote unquote film city. Mm -hmm. So the resources aren't here, um, like in New York or LA or, you know, just to learn about the industry. And so I decided I was going to take classes. So I found this UCLA extension program and I started taking classes there on film production, on screenwriting and those items. And I literally um, would fly to LA to take courses <laughs> from Nashville. And so uh, I was very committed. <laughs> I was very, and I still had a job at this time too, a nine to five. And so I was very committed and I was like, I'm going to learn this thing. Mm. And from there, you know, taking those courses kind of inspired me. Oh, I'm going to start, do my first film. And my first film was actually a silent film called Masquerade and um, a short film. And I said, I'm just going for it. You know, I learned a lot from there. And that film actually ended up winning awards. And wow. I was like shocked. And it was like, okay, maybe I'm in my lane. And so... From there, I kind of, you know, <laughs> I just went for it. Nice. I went for it with one of the other friends. I, I partnered with um, an old classmate of mine from Fisk who, uh, his, who is a physician. Mm -hmm. And we developed a, um, a um, production company named Et Al Films here in Nashville. And his name's Asher Turney. And we said, we're going to start doing these films and also partner with another friend of mine, S.A. Morrison with 353 Media Group. And we just went for it. I love it. There. I love it. Now, when you think about, uh, now I believe that we have a lot of examples of success stories, right? So you think of the work that Ava DuVernay is doing right now, right? Yes. Um, and at the same time though, we have, particularly in the, in the film and entertainment industry, we have of course a long way to go. Does those stories ever get to you or um, in terms of how far you could really go in the industry or does it motivate you even more? I definitely think those stories motivate me anymore. You know, people like Ava DuVernay, who was not a person that was, I think she was a publicist. Yeah, she was a publicist before. Yes. Mm -hmm. And so she was not a film director or, you know, I know she produces also uh, at first. So she started not that many years ago, truthfully. Right. She's and definitely so, a, 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 in the career switch community like us like yes. after 30 something, <laughs> something. Yes. And, and you know older we're not right. young people so right. you know you know making that switch and just kind of just leaping out on faith was definitely an inspiration that she did a couple films that people may or may not have heard of you know before Selma was probably her big breaking point and so 
it just inspires me to just keep on going. You know, she, she kept going and, um, uh, you know, it, I know it wasn't, I don't know her personally, but I, I can tell you it was not an easy process. Right, right. <laughs> and it's not an overnight process. Right. But now look at where she is now. So right. it's like the motivation, even like Issa Rae, mm-hmm. who started literally had no money. I read her story how she had her and her producing partner, Denise Davis, who I was able to work with last fall, um, literally at some point couldn't even afford a cup of coffee. Mm. They would eat at like places, I don't know if it was Starbucks, but coffee shops and um, to, to you know, you know, kind of plan out what they wanted to do with the misadventures of awkward black girls. Right. But they were so broke, they couldn't even afford coffee. But they right. still like motivated to do a plan. Right. And she she started that web series with absolutely no money and just her friends. And you know, you you cut costs to all you can do. And look where she is now with Insecure, right? And all the other projects she's doing. And so those just so serve as motiv- motivators for me, right? So let's look at, so you said your first film was Masquerade. Yes. Now, put that, creating, writing, and, and, and producing, uh, it takes a lot to create. But then on the other hand, it takes a lot to market and put yourself out there. <laughs> yes, yes. And so has, that, has, has putting yourself out there and sharing your work been a struggle for you? It has because you're kind of <laughs> you kind of have a little fear of um, people not liking it or not, you know, understanding all these other things. So it's just, um, yeah, it has been. I, I I feel vulnerable, of course. Right. To- work out there like are people gonna like it and I understand everybody's not gonna like everything you do I do understand that but it's still kind of hard to kind of very hard yes lay yourself out there and see how it does right and and I, I think especially when I look at the types of films so of course I said before I, I came to see Singleville right? so <laughs> and that was a play yeah. and I watched Dark Get, Dark Girls too on OWN and just the type of uh, storyline, it's going to come with the conversation. Yes, <laughs> and, yes, yes. And yes. so when you are creating those stories, is any of it true to your real life? Oh, definitely. Okay. I think even, you know, Singleville was a comedy, of course. Right. But it's true. You it know, was true. It, it, it's true. I was true sitting in the audience movies. like, I feel exposed. <laughs> <laughs> it was definitely funny. You know, it was making light of a lot of people's struggles, basically. Um, that, you know, people, you know, women, mm-hmm. and it wasn't just Black women. You know, we had a Hispanic, we had a Caucasian, we had a, you know, Black woman, but just women in general, the struggle of dating, especially after a certain age, after your 30s. Right. And um, being being single. So, um, you know, it's like putting your stuff out there. 
And with Dark Girls 2, um, it's funny because I wasn't part of Dark Girls the original. I was a fan. And I didn't know the directors. I didn't know anything at that time, in 2011 when it came out. And a few couple years later, I was starting the, you know, trying to film film thing. And I submitted a film with the International Black Film Festival here in Nashville. That was Masquerade. And through that film, and it won there. The the people that are over the um, IBF have introduced me to that director because he was there, I believe, a year or two before he brought Dark Girls, which sold out like they couldn't. It was so many people that came and saw it, it they couldn't even handle some those many people. And so I was introduced to him to help with another project, not Dark Girls 2, it was something totally different, which I did. And so I didn't even realize, you know, and then eventually he was like, he had saw some of the work I've done, some of the work I've been trying to do. He said, I want to bring you on um, Dark Girls. And I was like, this is so surreal because that kind of thing is something that I've dealt with my, my life. You know, hearing those women's stories in the original Dark Girls, and even the second Dark Girls are things that I personally dealt with. And so he was like, no, I want to bring you on at first co-producer. And then he was like, no, I'm going to bring you on as producer because you've done, you know, the work you put into this, you're going to be a producer. And so it's just like a surreal circle of life. That is how cool. just being a, yes. It's a fun, <laughs> a so you went from being a fan yeah. <laughs> of Dark Girls 1. Didn't know this. A producer yes. or a dark yes. girl too. Yes, and it really, literally happened like that. So, 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 tell us a little bit of uh, about Dark Girls too, because there were moments, several moments, two moments, and uh, for me that brought me to tears. But tell us about Dark Girls too. So, Dark Girls too, um, it brings light to the colorism issue. Um, not just an African-American community, actually Dark Girls too kind of highlight an international kind of feel because we also um, interviewed in Ghana and Antigua. And we also know that this happens in other communities like the Indian community and Asian community. Um, but it highlights the issue of colorism. But the thing about Dark Girls 2, it tells you where it began. Where, where did this colorism come from? And a lot of it came from slavery, you know, and we don't realize, you know, where do we get this light skin, dark skin kind of thing? But it comes from the, the, the slavery and the mentality that was kind of pushed on us that lighter is better. And we kind of carried that from generation to generation. And, um, but the thing I think what that is different from the original Dark Girls in comparison to Dark Girls 2 is that we talk about the issue, we talk about the history, we talk about the issues, but then we talk about healing. How can you heal from these type of traumas that we have dealt with? And so you can really get a complete kind of story from Dark Girls 2. Mm-hmm. Um, and I probably, you said there's two places that brought you to tears and I can probably kind of tip, I can almost guess what those places are. <laughs> Definitely well, the kids. 
<laughs> it, it was, well, for sure, it was one when you all went to a, I don't know if it was high school or maybe. Yes, I was going to say the kids, yes. Yeah, the kids, of course. And then, of course, it was a woman my age. I would say she was my age, maybe older, I don't know. But she was still healing from something that happened at the age these young girls were, right? And yeah. she was still visibly, you know, hurt by yeah. the experiences that she went through in high school or elementary school. And, um, you know, I think sometimes we think that we're past that, especially now, right? Because we have, you know, images, natural hair is big right now, right? Um, and we have, you know, campaigns where our um, light-skinned women and dark-skinned women and caramel-complexioned women are being, you know, shown and, and celebrated. But then you get a reality check and you see young girls are still being teased in school. Yes, yes. And they are still having these types of experiences. And so it lets us know that we have so much more work to do inside of our community and outside of our community as, yeah. as well. And so my question is for you, when you uh, thought about what, what it kind of in the process of putting that story together, mm -hmm. when you look at storytelling, what do you believe are the kind of like the, the key ingredients to telling a great story that kind of, kind of tugs at the heartstrings? Because for me, I was like, like I said, those, those two parts really brought me to tears. Yes, yes, definitely. Well, I, you know, with all my stories, not just Dark Girls 2, um, whether it be a comedy or a drama or something like a documentary where, you know, pulls on your heartstrings, it's about um, being relatable. Can you, you know, being relatable to people's stories? One thing I could say with, you know, all my different experiences in medicine and public health and film and, you know, it's so out, people say it's everywhere, but it's, it doesn't matter where you are, whether you're in medicine or whether you're in public health, um, you can see people's stories. That's one thing I could say has been a benefit. I have seen people's stories. I've seen people hurt in different, you know, ways. And so um, I believe, you know, telling a story is being relatable, whether it's nonfiction or fiction, it's being relatable to where people can connect to what you're trying to say. And I think dark girls, and it, this is from people, like my friend called me last night, who's actually a very fair person. She's a very light-skinned person. And she was like, you know what? That was such an inspiring story. She got something out of it. And that was what our goal was with Dark Girls too. Not bashing, you know. I think people, I was seeing some of the comments before, you know, in, in some of the um, marketing, you know, people would comment under it. This is bashing of light women and we need to be over this. But I was trying to encourage people to actually watch it. It is not bashing. No, it's anymore. not. It was so beautifully done. It, it was, it's actually, you know, you know, people have dealt with that. And I think he, we even hinted, you know, a little of, we know that lighter people and all people have some kind of trauma and struggle in, um, you know, in this colorism issue. 
but it's about trying to heal from those traumas, those things that we've all dealt with and, you know, being relatable. And so I say with all my stories, it's about the relatability and in whatever way you're trying to do it, whether it be through comedy or drama, whatever, and people really kind of reflecting after. Right. I, you know, one of the things that I truly believe is stories have healing power. They yes. do. Yes. They have healing power. I mean, even the courage that it took the young women to talk about their experiences, you know, those stories are probably going to heal not only women their age, but also <laughs> women my age. Yeah, right? exactly. Just from watching it. And yeah. I felt like the documentary was so informative and so educational, even going back to the history of how it it all began to understand where we are now. And of course, let us know that we have much more work to do. Yes, Throughout yes. The, the process of producing the film, was there anything that surprised you? Oh, let me see, anything that surprised me. Some things I kind of knew. The the amount of skin bleaching in Ghana was kind of surprising. Cause I think, you know, I always kind of thought, here, you know, I kind of, when I was young, I kind of heard about the skin bleaching and I think we've gotten away with it a lot in the U.S. Um, but the amount that still goes on in places like Ghana and then I have friends from Congo and some other uh, African countries and that is such, still such a big thing in uh, a lot of African countries right. and that, you know, um, that was very surprising to me. Okay. That yeah, that was surprising to me. Um, yeah. And even now, I heard two companies come forward and say they're going to change the name of their skin bleaching cream. But I'm yes. like, people are still using that? Yeah. Um, <laughs> no, I thought it was like, is this a thing for real? Still? Yeah, I, I was. I was surprised as well. I remember as a kid seeing it um, on the shelves, but then, like I said, a week or so ago, I can't remember the name of the company, but. They said that they were going to change the name of the whitening cream. And I, I was, in addition to watching it um, in your documentary, I was blown away that this was still a thing that people yes. were, were buying into. So thanks again for the, uh, the several, one of several aha moments that I got from, from Dark Girls as well. Yes. So and when you think about, one of the things that I love about, again, your journey is just that you were open to curiosity during a point or an age in your life when people think you should have it all together. Yes, yes, yes. yes. So what, what's the, when you think about where you were, right, with, with Singleville, mm-hmm. or let's say with Masquerade, let's mm-hmm. take it back to the first one. <laughs> yeah, what, what would you say to that woman at that time? What would you say to yourself? What would be the advice you would give to yourself? Oh my goodness. Um, what would I say to myself? To not let, so my biggest thing is not let people discourage you, even at that time. Discourage, you know, your vision. A lot of people can't see your vision, of course, because it's your vision. <laughs> and so. <laughs> And so I would say, you know, there was times, even since then, 
that I kind of was like, I'm going to give this up. This is not, you know, after masquerade, it's not going the way that I want to. Um, things aren't happening. And so I would just, and, and most of it was because of people. And I, I'm not, you know, just kind of taking the heart with people's, people's um, critic, criticism or people's reviews and, it was just like, you always want to please people. And I will tell that girl, you can't please everybody. And that's just reality in every aspect of life. And do not let that deter you from the vision God has given you. You have said a word. One <laughs> of the things that I, that I always have to remind myself is, Candy, is some of the most important skills that you need to succeed in your life and career are not taught in school, dealing with rejection, accepting criticism. And let me say this, of course you could accept constructive criticism, but especially with the type of work that you do, you're opening yourself up to like the critic critics. Yes, <laughs> and the <real> critics. <laughs> and to, to keep creating and producing, you know, in the midst of that level of criticism and the rejection mm-hmm. is just, extraordinary what I look at especially kind of watching your journey along that way how do you refill your cup because I'm sure that after you know seeing comments or facing a rejection you kind of feel depleted is there anything specifically that you do to kind of fill yourself back up I always you know go to the people that are closest to me that are always encouragers and really would always tell me the truth and those people have really helped me in those bad times you know even those times I wanted to give up you know um, encouraging me to keep on going and you know that's just something that I do is talk to those very close people that you know and they'll tell me the truth not everything's fabulous (laughs) of course (laughs) but uh, you know, but, you know, they'll be real, the good and the bad. Right. And so um, that's how I fill my cup, that, that encouragement from people, encouragement from, you know, reading certain things that are very encouraging. And, um, yeah, the, the, that's what I do. I like that. So do, when you think about the criticism that you've received, constructive, let me be clear, constructive criticism, is there any specific piece of feedback that you received that you felt like, of course, it made you feel like, oh, gosh, but it worked out to be one of the best pieces of feedback that helped you improve or level up in your career? Okay. Um I'm trying to think that through. Um, and I've had, I, I would say, you know, overall, you know, there has been criticism, but most of the time what people have said, don't take it personally mm. with everything, you know, it whether it's your, your film needs to look a certain way or you need to be more technically together or you need to you know those kind of do the technical aspects about it and you kind of feel like well 
it doesn't look that bad to me or, you know, that whatever, you know, getting to the next level with those kind of technical type things that I'm, you know, I pretty much hire people to do. <laughs> and, but, you know, you kind of take it to heart, but then I'm like, yeah, we do need to upgrade and go to the next level. So, you know, not to take it personally though. You I know, like this- that you say focus on the, that you focused on the technical because I think that's kind of a marker for me too. Sometimes is looking at it like it can be that the person say something to personally attack you, or is it related to a technical part of your work? Yes, exactly. Just like making it better. I mean, we don't have, of course, the budgets of, you know, these Hollywood films that everything looks perfect, but there may be something we can do to make it better, you know, technically to make it, you know, look better on screen to make the sound better. You know, they say a sound in video, especially sound, actually they say it's the number one deter. So if you don't have your sound together, it's just like, you know, people are going to be like, I don't want to watch this, you know. And so we, I've learned with those technical things, you know, to, you know, I don't necessarily do sound, but try to hire the best person within the budget to do those things that will help take your project to the next level. And also hiring people that will take your project or your vision and actually run with it with you and not just be like, oh, this is just another job. I don't really care about this. You know, it's just whatever. You know, it's a job. I'm getting paid. But you want someone to kind of you, you're probably going to love it the best, but you know, you know, kind of um, treat your project like a child and kind of love it and kind of develop it and kind of, you know, make it into something that you envision. So you want a team that actually takes it as seriously as you do. Mm. That's such good advice. You know, it's funny when you talked about the sound, um, I was, of course, I, I wanted to do the podcast, but then I was kind of in between, between doing podcasts and doing YouTube, you know, kind of talks and things of that sort. And someone said, listen, just make sure you have your sound together, <laughs> your sound. Yeah, yeah. And if you do video, make sure you have the lighting and the sound together. Yes, yes, yes. People the have a short, big, yes. Yeah, people have a short tolerance if the sound is bad. So it's so funny yes. that. We, we walk in two different lanes, but the advice has been pretty much the same. I mean, even in terms of, like you said, hiring a good team and really focusing on your zone of genius and, and, and getting a good team to help you bring your vision to life. I believe um, sometimes uh, many of the reasons why we struggle is because we try to be the jack of all trades. Yes. Now I've run into that and I've learned Um, you know, there's several people I know that, you know, they have to be this and this and this and this. And I'm trying to tell them, you don't have to be all that. Right. You can have a team. Your name is still going to be out there. (laughs) You're still (laughs) going to get credit for whatever you did, you know, but you don't have to be all the, you know, all the roles. Right. And I think there's, you know, I just really think there there should be um, what word am I trying to say? 
that that we should work as a team because you know we're 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 not jack of all trades. If you think about it, you know we might can do a lot of things good, but how many things can we do excellently? So, um, and if you can find another excellent person that can come beside you, why not bring a bring them along also? Right, and that's what I kind of focus on. Right. I've, I've had to shift a lot of that too. I, uh, two years ago, or maybe a year or so ago, I came across a, a tweet from Barbara Cochran. She's the uh, investor on Shark Tank. And oh. she talked about that when she does her to-do list, she jots everything down. And then the first thing she does is look at that to-do list and figure out who, who else could do it. <laughs> and to, you know, but I took that to heart and I realized I have to do that sometimes focus on the great and hire for the good. Yeah, exactly. Right. So, so that you could bring your vision to life. So this was such a good candid conversation today. How can people continue to engage with your work? Where could they find you online? Okay. I'm, um, on Facebook, it's everything's my name. So Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, <laughs> Malisha Edwards. That's M E L E I S H A Edwards. On Facebook, Instagram, Twitter. I'm gonna start getting. I'm not that great at Instagram nor Twitter, but I'm 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 going to start. <laughs> it's okay. Listen, I lovingly stalk you on 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 Facebook. It's good enough. <laughs> Facebook, I'm like an old head. You know, my niece who's like 20, right? She's like, You're old, you're on Facebook. No one does Facebook anymore. <laughs> I know because listen, I'm on Twitter. I love Twitter. And and I was so happy to see the film trending on Twitter. And I was like, Oh, Whoa. I was like, oh my goodness. Like someone had to tell me that because I wasn't on Twitter like I should be. I'm just like, Yes, because that's where the con that's where the real conversation happens. Even Ava, I mean, she's on there and she's she's always you know, uh, sharing her behind the, her behind the scenes and, and, and her work. Yeah, that's where the real conversations. So I had to do better. So that's my thing. I had to do better, especially with Twitter. Instagram to me is so much work. You got to put Instagram you gotta is put a lot hashtags. of work. You got to. I was like, it's so much. <laughs> oh, one more question. Any upcoming projects or work uh, that you have going on? Or do we just need to continue to ride the dark girls to wave which i'm well, that for a while y'all y'all keep on watching it now because <laughs> own is very they're very happy on how it's done and so i mean how well it's doing so y'all keep on watching it and you can stream it on for free through july oh, 31st awesome. on owns so if you don't have cable i know a lot of people because cable's high so you can stream it on fr for free on the own app at this time through July 1st, through July 31st. And also, um, so please, you know, keep on watching and tell your friends. And uh, also um, just follow me. There'll be other upcoming projects coming. Yeah. Um, some that I can't really talk about now, but if you follow me, you'll see them. <laughs> yes, love the. I'm here for these little teasers. Y'all hear that? <laughs> well, thank you, thank you, thank you, Malisha. I'm sure I will probably bring you back on when you produce more of those projects. <laughs> okay, that's awesome. 
don't forget. Listen, now I know you are on TV. Okay, now don't <laughs> go forgetting about Kansas conversations. No, I'm not gonna forget about anybody. <laughs> exactly.